The first reading is from the book of Psalms, the 139th chapter, beginning with the seventh verse. If you'd like to follow along, it is printed in your announcements. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, may, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The second reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from God, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there was a potter who was working at the wheel. The vessel being made of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and so the potter reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to do. And then the word of God came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Says God, just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. With today being kickoff Sunday, it's a good time to think about new beginnings and spaciousness. Is there an opening for God to rework the clay of your life? Sometimes new beginnings happen because there's been an ending. In 2001, when I was 43, I had a bottom dropping out kind of ending, and then a new beginning. It happened when I was traveling for work in Fresno County, and I was hit by a car going over 80 miles an hour. I sustained a severe traumatic brain injury and went into a coma. When Peter, my husband, got to the Fresno Hospital, the doctors told him that I was in a persistent vegetative state, and they didn't know how long I'd be that way. They also said that the next five days were crucial, as if my brain swelled too much, I would die. I came out of the coma in about four days and was like a baby. I couldn't do anything for myself, and I couldn't understand much of what was going on around me. I had to start the process of relearning many things, including how to breathe, how to talk, how to hold a spoon so I could feed myself, how to stand up and balance so that I could learn how to walk again, how to read and write and do very simple math, how to see straight through double vision, 
and most profoundly, how to live with an injured brain. I would get very upset, understandably, when I couldn't follow simple conversations or instructions, and my response was to bawl like a baby. I've since learned that having a traumatic brain injury is often compared to being dead drunk. Nothing makes sense, and your body doesn't work. After two weeks in the Fresno Hospital, I was transferred to Kentfield Rehab Hospital in Marin County. I eventually regained the ability to walk and began walking the hospital halls as practice. As I got cognitively clearer, I heard and remembered stories of the families of patients who had made tremendous sacrifices to leave everything and support their loved one in the hospital. I remember walking by the room of two young men who had been brain injured and paralyzed in a motorcycle accident, whose families were there against the odds to help them. As I glanced at their room, I remember being filled with the intuitive knowledge. Life exists on many levels that we cannot see. This was one of my, one of my many experiences of the divine reality during my recovery. My healing continued at a remarkable rate. Six and a half months after the accident, I was able to return to my same job as an attorney for the Judicial Council of California, which is the rule and policy-making arm of the state court system that's chaired by the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court. I had excellent medical care. I received profound prayer, love, and support from the beloved 7th Avenue community and from my family and friends. I worked hard on my recovery. I have great genes, but God only knows how this miraculous turn of events happened. In January 2002, when I started back to work at 40% time, the process of beginning to relearn my job was hard. But I persevered as I really wanted to be able to work. I was terrified that I wouldn't be smart anymore and that in the long run, I would not be able to do my job. My mantra was, I want my brain and body back. And that laser beam focus, plus the huge support and encouragement I was getting, kept me going. Little by little, there was improvement in my cognitive skills and my stamina. In the spring of 2002, I was asked to give one of the sermons at Leyland Sunday, along with Tim Kahn. I felt honored to be asked, but since I was still very much in the healing process, to accept the invitation, I had to dig deep into my faith and courage to trust that I would be able to write and speak clearly and meaningfully. The scripture included the story of the burning bush. Here is some of what I had to say that Sunday in June 2002. I have always thought of calls from God as being strange, dramatic, compelling, life-changing, even otherworldly. I had never experienced a call. My adult faith journey had been more gradual and tempered. But now I have had an experience of being called that was actually strange and compelling and life-changing and even otherworldly. I feel God has called me to live life with a depth of gratitude I never before knew existed and to see with a new lens from having been brain injured in a near-fatal car accident 11 months ago. As for my gratitude, I'm so happy just to be here. During our Advent retreat last December, I journaled about how I had experienced God's abundance through the accident. 
and the very long list blew my mind. One of the things I've learned about healing from a brain injury is that the brain spontaneously knits new neural pathways to bypass the injured areas. I've come to see that as a metaphor for how God heals all aspects of ourselves, knitting new pathways around whatever spiritual, emotional, or physical pain exists to create a new way of being. My new image of God is as the knitter. The concept of God as a knitter actually goes back thousands of years. The psalmist rejoiced at having been knit by God in the womb. In the 1300s, Julian of Norwich also perceived God as a knitter. Last month at Companions on the Inner Way, we learned in a cross-cultural context about women poets, spiritual and leaders, and mystics, one of whom was Julian. In her theology of creation, humanity is eternally united to the divine nature. Julian saw human nature as ever-luminous, unstained goodness, knit and one with God. Trying to put words or images around God can be such a stretch. How do you explain the ineffable? The psalmist tried to do so in depicting the Holy One's always present, inescapable spirit. Even and likely especially when I was in the coma, God's spirit was with me. After I woke up, Peter asked me if I'd seen the angels. He had had a near-death experience as a child riding his bike. He had been run over by a car. Peter saw angels when he was lying on the ground, thought to be dead, and covered with a shroud. When Peter asked me if I'd seen the angels, I had a respirator in my mouth and couldn't speak. But I nodded yes, I had. God's spirit is everywhere. And then there's the power of community. I so resonated with Pastor Jenna's sermon last month on the unexpected gifts of community. I especially identified with her words that if you trust in community, you can feel safe in getting lost and that when you're attached to feeling in control, trusting in community is a life-giving practice. Trusting and letting go of outcome. During my long healing process, one of my many experiences of being supported and encouraged by the Seventh Avenue community came through Ana Delgado, who many of you know. In June 2002, when I gave my sermon, Ana was graduating from midwifery school, and her family came to San Francisco to celebrate and was in church with her. Anna's brother happens to be a neurologist. After my sermon, he turned to Anna and said, my recovery was miraculous. It was so empowering and a big shift in my perspective to get feedback from a neurologist that I was a walking miracle. In community, we can do amazing things for each other and with each other. In trusting and letting go of outcome, we can fly. So, fast forward. After my brain injury, I ended up working 15 years at 80% time at my very demanding job until I retired last year. Talk about a miracle. As for the human participation part in a miracle, here are some of the many things that I believe contributed. Five important people came to Fresno to be the loving voices calling me out of the coma. Peter, 
my sister Mary, my brother Craig and sister-in-law Elaine, and my close friends since childhood, Marilee. My family, friends, and the Seventh Avenue community provided profound help, support, love, and prayers in the months and years ahead, especially Peter. This has been my ultimate life experience in the power of community and how much I need it. Early in my rehab, I remember feeling embarrassed and at times ashamed of being so impaired. But it taught me a lot about humility and the wisdom of asking for help. This lesson in letting go of my pride and being gracious in accepting help has stayed with me and made space for greater self-compassion, patience, and acceptance of my limitations. My lesson stamina, both physical and mental, is permanent. With time and grace, I've been able to see there are real benefits to living life at a slower pace. Also early on in my rehab, because of feeling overwhelmed, often scared, sometimes angry, because of the enormity of what had happened to me, I received help from hospital staff in breaking things into very small pieces, sometimes taking life just 15 minutes at a time. And that wisdom is still with me today. About a month post-accident, I remember starting to use imagery to detach from fear. In the following, following months and years, I used mantras and affirmations to encourage myself, all of which I still do today. I persevered and I never gave up. In other words, I had faith, which has continued to be how I try to engage with life. When I went back to work, my boss, Michael Wright, was extraordinary. He put in countless extra hours supervising me and encouraging me in the three years it took to get my intellect and confidence back. My entire work team was very supportive. Looking back, though, I can see there were very important life lessons in not being the intellectually competent version of me at work and home. Grace and time have again helped me to be able to embrace my brokenness and vulnerability. And ever since the accident, but especially during the first several very tough years of my recovery, I was always buoyed by my gratitude that I was alive. My new, new mantra was, and it still is, every day is a gift. This new lens inspired me many years ago to adopt a daily practice of writing a gratitude list and emailing it to my friend Marilee, describing what's gone well that day and any silver linings to things that haven't gone well. Marilee sends me her list every day, and then we comment on each other's lists, which reinforces and amplifies all the good this helps even out the brain's negativity bias. This practice has changed my life and how I experience it. So for the last many years, when I'm stuck in traffic, rather than getting upset, I make a point of noticing how blue the sky is or how spectacular the Golden Gate Bridge is or thinking about something positive. In retirement, I'm enjoying my freedom, though I'm not completely free. My call now includes writing my memoir, telling the story of my recovery. I'm writing it so that I can better understand all that I've been through. I'm writing it to try and help other brain injury survivors and their families, friends, and caregivers. 
I hope my book will encourage my fellow and sister survivors not to give up on the long and daunting road to recovery. My 40th college reunion was last fall, and I was invited to be on the class panel on, on the topic of resilience. <clears throat> I said during my talk that if I had the power to go back in time and change the course of my life, I would not undo the brain injury. While my per permanent deficits can still frustrate me at times, my brain injury has been and still is my greatest spiritual teacher. Through this unlikely gift, I was awakened to the radical joy of simply being alive. From a wrecked car and brain, the Holy One gave me the gift of a new beginning, knitting and molding the clay of my life into something more alive and freer and with a call to share what I've learned from my recovery and from coming so close to death. Is there a new beginning to which you are being called? Amen. <laughs>